There's a reason that's a classic. If you have an Acts journal, we're on page 28, chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It's a strange text, this one. I've been fighting with this one all week long. It's a strange text ever to have to preach on. It's a really strange text to fall on a 4th of July Sunday. Um, it's, It's tough. It's challenging. It's difficult. But what I realize is that this text is about two people that declared their own independence. And they declared their independence away from God and away from their church family. And when I started to understand it that way, it it made a lot more sense. It seems right away, and I'm going to read it all to you in a moment, it seems that it's all about money, and it isn't about money at all. It it seems that it's about a greedy God, and it isn't about a greedy God. It it is so so different than all of that. What we're going to take a look at is the first sin in the early Christian church. The church has been on this fast ride to rapid growth, and things have gone really well, and And uh, we talked last week about how everyone had everything in common and their heart and soul were all committed. And and then this happens, this text. And so with that as the prelude to it, I'm going to read Acts 5, 1 to 11 here. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is a tough text. I'm reading this thing this week going, I wonder if anybody would notice if we just skipped it. I could say it was the 4th of July and we're going to do something real patriotic, but nope, we're, we're studying the book of Acts, which means we're going to study the whole book of Acts. And this passage sounds a lot like something we would read in the Old Testament. Sinful, lying people, immediate, brutal punishment. We want to say this is an angry God who just absolutely didn't accept what these people brought. And so, boy, what's going to happen to me? And then some people say, well, the, the God of the Old Testament isn't the God of the New Testament. The God that we've got today is a different version of God too. But right there we've got to stop and say the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and the God of today are the same God, one and the same, always and unchanging. And so we have to throw that argument out that, well, God's different today. No, God isn't different today. We are different today. And what we so often have is this attitude that says, well, it's good enough. Uh, people that, that work with me know I don't like that phrase at all. It's good enough for who? 
It might be good enough for you, but is it good enough for God? Is it the best that we can do? It, it, not that God is looking for us to be perfect, but God is looking for us to do our best. The phrase, it's good enough, just doesn't really work. We've changed, and so we say, well, God must have changed. We don't have to live quite like that anymore. That text sounds terrifying. It, it sounds unbelievable. And I realized it should. Luke doesn't soften it. Luke doesn't change it or try to explain it away. He just tells the story exactly as it happens. And now we've got to read it and come to terms with it. And it should be terrifying. And we have to pay attention to it because this first sin in the church is one that we've got to pay attention to. See, the Bible says that the penalty for sin is death. But we kind of slide by that, and we don't think that really holds true anymore. We don't like that anymore. We don't like the way that sounds. But see, God offers us life in Jesus. And so we need to hold all of these things together and make sure that we really understand, make sure what the sin really was that happened here, and to make sure that we don't do the very same thing. So all of this follows immediately after Luke records the five, I talked about the five reactions to the Holy Spirit. One of those reactions to the people being of one heart and soul and that the Holy Spirit was filling and fueling and powering everything they were doing, one of the reactions was radical generosity. And we saw these people in the church selling stuff that they owned, land and houses and, and property and whatever it was, and, and they brought it to the apostles and laid it at the apostles' feet because we talked about how that's a sign of submission. And they said, and the proceeds were given to everyone as they had need. And so no one was lacking. And so this was kind of the thing to do. This is what people who had the opportunity, who wanted to be radically generous, they, they saw how this was working. And so the grace of God is upon everyone. The Holy Spirit was filling people. People were blessing. Every, uh, the Holy Spirit was blessing everything they did. And, and then suddenly sin enters the church. Sin enters the church. So let's go. This is a tough one, but let's get through it because there's some really good stuff to learn. Verse 1, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. I skipped a word. The word that Luke includes is but. But a man named Ananias. Although, however, except for, he's talking about one heart and soul among 8,000 people that have every word, everything in common, but he uses the word but. Although, however, except for a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy that history or the woman that history records as, you know what, they were a part of a great church, there was great people all around them, except for them. And that's what Luke is doing here. Everything is going really well. One heart and soul. The Holy Spirit is a part of everything they're doing. But a man named Ananias. And with his wife's knowledge, he sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. He did what everyone else was doing. He was selling land. He was gathering the money. He brought it to church and he laid it at the apostles' feet as a sign of submission. He was wanting to be a part of the crowd. The problem was he was being deceptive. Ananias wanted to appear holy. He wanted to appear to be a part of the believers. He wanted credit and whatever. Hey, way to go, Ananias. That's awesome, man. He wanted that credit from the gathered people, but that wasn't where his heart was. He, he didn't have that heart and soul that was a part of the one that they were talking about because he lacked a truly generous spirit. 
It isn't unlike what we see in the world today in in Christians and otherwise, people who claim to be generous, people who claim to give a lot, people who claim, Christians who claim to tithe. But in reality, what's happening is, is that they're giving a little bit of the extra out of their abundance. They're not giving from the depths of their heart. And it isn't radical generosity. It's just making sure that they look good and feel good about themselves. And what's happening here is his sin isn't the amount of money that he brought. His sin is the deception in his heart. And where we have to step in and be careful is to say, where do I fall to that trap? Because as Christians, we want to look good. We want people to say good things about us. But if it isn't true, we better hit the brakes and slow down. Ananias was being deceptive, and that was the sin that entered the church. It was deception. It was The money was a sign. The money was a symptom. The money said he didn't trust God to take care of their future. The money said he didn't trust the church to take care of the money. The fact that he withheld the money, it was a sign. It was a symptom of his sin of selfishness and deceptiveness. And we'd be wise to pay attention to those things in our old lives. Do our actions line up with what are our words and what we say that we believe? Or do our actions end up saying that what we believe and what we, what we say that we think don't line up and aren't true? Deception was the sin. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep you back and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? The, the word in Greek, when it says to keep back, what it really means is, why have you been secretive and have you planned to be deceptive? There's a connotation to it that's very, very negative. And when we withhold from God, what we're really doing is we're holding on to that real estate that they were talking about last week in chapter 4, our heart and our soul. See, we kind of get to do with that what we want to. We get to think what we want and to believe what we want and, and to be a part of what we want. And that's extremely valuable real estate. And that's the whole, prop, the whole thing that's, that's uh, at stake here. What Ananias did was he made the decision that he was going to take some of that real estate that was his heart and soul that everybody else had as one. He was going to take that real estate and he was going to keep it for himself. And so when he separated away, when he withheld it from God, he opened the door to Satan. And we've got to be careful about that because we can do the same thing. And so Peter calls him out. He says, why has Satan so filled your heart to lie? By doing it, he simply opened the door to Satan. So I'm trying to come up with an example. I got some things going on at my house. We had some work that needed to get done. And uh, right now, the front yard's a lot more dirt than it is grass. In the end, it's going to be a good thing. But right now, it's like, what's going to happen? Have you ever tried to, to take a patch of dirt and to work it up? And to put grass seed down and grow a lawn, it's not easy to do. There's a reason that there's professionals. Here's, here's what I've learned when I've, when I've tried it. Grass is really hard to grow. That's the good thing. That's what we want. That grass seed is really hard to grow. Do you know what loves to grow? Weeds. You don't have to water them. You can completely ignore them. They can bake in the sun. And those little buggers thrive. But the grass that we want, that takes effort. You have to pay attention to it. You have to water it. You can't walk on it. You can't drive on it. You can't mow it right away. See, I want the yard of mine. That, that's, that's real estate that I look at all the time. I want it to look good. And so it's going to take effort. And the real estate that is our heart and soul takes effort. 
We have to make the effort of picking out the weeds and, and we have to make an effort attending the seeds and we have to make an effort to grow the stuff that we want there, our faith and our knowledge and our way of living as a disciple of Jesus. Because the weeds take over. Satan will take over in a heartbeat. We've got to be careful about that real estate. Why? Because the real estate that is your heart and soul, it is of eternal and incalculable value. And Satan knows that, which is why he's still at war in the world. The war has been lost, and he knows it. God wins. But he's still fighting the battles, and the battles that he's fighting are one-on-one. He's he's fighting his battles with each one of us as believers. And what he's fighting for is that most valuable of real estate that is your heart and soul. It takes the grass in our yard a lot of work to grow. The weeds grow easily. Sin grows easily. Godly thoughts and godly living needs to be cared for and tended to. That's what Ananias found out. Verse 4. While it remained unsold, Peter said, did, you not, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? What he's saying is, you could have done anything with that land. I mean, it's been under your control. Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You haven't lied to man, but to God. Peter's saying it isn't me that you're lying to. It's God that you're lying to. It's the Holy Spirit that you're lying to. And Peter's calling him out saying it wasn't an accident. It wasn't an oops. You made the decision to do this. You made the decision. You and your wife made the decision to sell the property, to take the money. And then with those proceeds, you were going to withhold some to you. And then you were going to give some to us. You were going to pretend to give all when in reality you only gave some. It's like in, in Malachi when God talks about why are we stealing from him? Why are we not giving back to God the full measure of what he asks us to give him? It's the exact same thing. The same God that's acting here in the New Testament has acted throughout the Old Testament and, and the message hasn't changed. It's not unlike what Cain and Abel did. In Genesis 4, Adam and Eve's first two sons, right? Two boys. Verse 3, it says, uh, excuse me, verse, verse 2. Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry and his face fell. What happened? Cain grew crops. He took some of it when he had a a harvest. He took some of it and gave it to God as an offering. Wasn't even the best. He just gave some of it. Abel, on the other hand, actually had to take the life of some of his animals, gave the firstborn of his flocks and the fat portions, the very best portions he gave to God as an offering. And what God recognized was the condition of their hearts. God recognized how committed they were to him as provider and how committed they were to themselves as the one who had to do the work on their own. Abel realized that the very best he had was already God's, and so he gave a portion back. And when God called Cain on it, Cain was very angry and his face fell. God said, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? He says, if you do well, what is right Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what is not right? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The thing is, Cain didn't apologize. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He didn't say, you know what, God, that harvest was a little light and I was a little worried about running out of food. And so I gave you something anyway. And he and God would have had a very different conversation. 
But he didn't do that all because his heart was deceptive and he brought to God acting as though it was the best that he had. And God says, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door of your heart and soul. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Satan wants the very opposite for you and I that God wants for us. God wants our very best and Satan wants to separate us from God. So what does Cain do? Cain talks to his brother and he goes out in the field and he ends up killing Abel. Takes his life. Why? Because he was mad at God because he didn't own up to what he had done. So rather than saying, God, I apologize, I'm sorry, please forgive me, he takes it out on his brother Abel. And then God comes later and he says, so where's Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? I don't care, God, you go find him. And what happens, it's a great example of when we give a little bit of our heart, a little bit of our soul, a little bit of that real estate that God gave us for him to the enemy, the enemy just takes over and inch by inch, mile by mile, takes more and more and more of it to the point that Cain had a heart that was willing to give something of a sacrifice to where he actually was that impetuous kid that talked back to God. And that's what happens when we give Satan that most valuable of real estate. See, God's expectation, what he wants for us, is pretty simple. Where we run into trouble is when we say, I want something different than what you want for me, God. When we choose to ignore God and choose to live life on our own terms, when we choose sin over obedience, then we begin to change, and it happens in little bits and pieces. And more than likely, the people around us notice it before we even notice it ourselves. We get angry and irritable and short. We're not as much fun to be around anymore. It happened in Joshua. There's this guy named Achan, and he had taken some of the things that were devoted to God, and God got very angry. And this theme that happens throughout the Bible is important because it plays into this part of Acts 5. God takes his holiness very seriously. If you're a note taker, that's your note. God takes his holiness very seriously. He did in the Old Testament with Cain and Abel. And he does all the way through. Here we are in Acts 5, and he still does it here with Ananias and Sapphira. And we should be glad that God takes his holiness seriously. Because there's examples of what happens when people transgress God's holiness. See, we know that God is serious. And if he's serious about his holiness, we can also trust the fact that he's serious about his love for us. He's serious about his grace and his mercy. God is serious about what it is that he did for us through Jesus. Because Because of God's seriousness, it can lead to our salvation. But Ananias, he he realized he'd been caught lying to God about the true proceeds of the sale. And there's something important in this text. Luke doesn't say that God killed him. It says that Ananias breathed his last and he fell to the ground. It could be conviction. It could be that he realized exactly what he had done and he'd been around these Holy Spirit filled people that were so on fire and he realized that he had just taken God too lightly. And maybe that was enough conviction that it caused a heart attack. I don't know. But the Bible does not say that God killed him. It doesn't say that God took his life. What it says is he heard the words of truth from Peter and his response to the lie was he breathed his last and he died. Matthew 12 Jesus talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit being the one unforgivable sin, the one thing that we could do that's beyond forgiveness. Well, what's blaspheming? It's lying. It's pretending to be something you're not. It's being intentionally deceptive. And what's happening here is Ananias intentionally lied to the Holy Spirit. He thought he was just lying to Peter. But he was lying to the Holy Spirit, which he should have known, because the Holy Spirit has been so powerfully present the whole time. And what had happened was his heart was being filled Not with the Holy Spirit anymore, but with Satan. 
Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. It's important that we realize here, Luke is showing us something very significant. We know that Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, have conspired with this plan. But she comes in later and she doesn't know what's going on. And so she gets the opportunity because Peter says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she says, yes, for so much. She gets the chance to tell the truth on her own, which is important because just the way that God saves us individually, God judges us individually. He looks to us as a church and what we're doing and and are we doing the things that he's called us to? Are we doing the things in the world and, and in our community that the church should be doing? Yes, God judges us as a church that way. But God judges us individually, and Sapphira has a chance to answer honestly. It was her chance to tell the truth and to, to come clean and, and to say, you know what, we, we know it's not everything. We kind of cooked up this plan, and, and you know, I, I, I no. Instead, she says, yeah, we sold it for so much. And Peter says to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Same messages to her husband. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet, and she breathed her last. It does not say that God took her life. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. Why was it great fear? Because of the holiness of God. We are to fear and love God. Fear is being afraid of him? No, we are to fear God, recognizing his holiness. They kept back from God. They, they, they conspired with each other to keep back from God. And in reality, what they did is they made the decision that they were going to sell this piece of land and they were going to get this property and they were going to go to Peter in front of the whole church with one foot planted in the soil of this earth and one foot planted in the church in the community of God. And they said, yep, this is everything that we did. This is all of our, this is all of what we earned. And yet Satan had taken over their heart enough that that foot that was in the ground was more than what they could get over to tell the truth. So they were committed in word, but they were not committed in the actions and in the truth of their lives. They claimed to be fully committed to God, but their actions and their words said something else. So the theme here is a, is a recurring biblical theme, and it isn't about God wanting all of your stuff. I've heard this preached, and, and you need to sell everything you have. You need to sell off your house and take whatever. Uh, I've heard televangelists say, uh, if you've got credit cards, you need to max out that credit card and send it into the ministry. That is not what this text is saying. That is not what it's about at all. What this text is about is the holiness of God. The text is about the holiness of God and us needing to recognize that. To be holy is to be set apart, to be distinct, to be separate from this world. And God is set apart distinct and separate from this world. And as Christians, we are to be the same thing. We are to live in the world, not of the world. Ananias and Sapphira had rooted, grounded one foot in the world, and they were living in the world at the same time as they were trying to live in the Word. So so why is that a thing? Why is it important? Well, because we want to be who we want and what we want. We want to live how we want to live. Being holy isn't normal in our world. And so there's all of these people and groups out there that are crashing down hard on Christians and Christianity right now. And the real reason is, if you listen to it, they stand for something that stands against God. And because God is holy and they know that they're not, they're not willing to allow holiness to exist among them as though somehow that's going to make them look better. But the holiness of God doesn't change and it never will. God 
is holy, he was, he is, he always will be. Ananias and Sapphira flirted with the holiness of God and they got caught. And so often we can flirt with the holiness and transgress the holiness of God in the simple ways that we're dishonest with God by, by saying, God, that's all that I can give. God, that's all the time that I have. I'd love to help them, but I just, I don't have the time to do it right now. It's so easy to tell God one thing as though God is going to be fooled. God knows better. He knows your heart. He gave it to you. He knows your soul. He knows what's there. And it's better just to be honest. Jesus said something that was so awesome. He said, it's better to be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. If your foot's going to be in the world and in the world, excuse me, in the world and in the word, you're lukewarm. Rather that you are honest about not, not believing in God because then there's a conversation that can happen. God can, God can work through that or, or simply saying, yes, I'm a hundred percent yours, Jesus. I'm a hundred percent yours. And then living that way. But what happened was they didn't trust God in their actions because they didn't trust God for their provisions. So as we celebrate Fourth of July, it's our Independence Day. We celebrate freedom as Americans. My first question is, how free are you in your relationship with Jesus? What does that do to your understanding of the things that you have, the things that you steward, the responsibilities and the relationships that you have? How free are you in your relationship with Jesus? And do you hold back from God? Do you keep one foot in the world and one foot in the word? Because if you're doing that, what often happens is that foot that's in the world becomes quicksand and we begin to tip that way. That's what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. It's why we're to be in the world, not of the word. We're to keep our our feet firmly planted in the word and keep that real estate that's our heart and souls for God alone. And whatever we do, whatever we decide, however we act, we teach others to do the same thing. We teach them what it is to be a believer. So the lesson isn't that God wants everything you own. It's that God wants all of you. God wants you to be honest about your commitment to him or your lack of commitment to him, how much your heart and soul you're really willing to give him. God wants that kind of a conversation with you. You can't read this text and say, God's going to be mad at me and kill me if I don't give him everything I have. That's not what the text says. Not in any way, shape, or form. What the text says is that God wants you, your heart and your soul. So how much do you really trust in God? Is everything you have really his? Or do you just like saying it because it sounds good to the people that you're around? Are you rather content to keep your money and your things and your stuff for yourself and give a little bit of it out as you have to as long as it doesn't require too much of you? See, Ananias and Sapphira, they were probably really good people. They were a part of this church, which meant they were around a lot of really good people. They were probably good people, but they were also pretenders. They were posers. And that was the trouble that they got into. They were the kind of people that Jesus said we shouldn't be. They were lukewarm in the midst of a community of believers who were on fire. So my question is, how big is your God? Is your God big enough to take care of your problems? Is your God big enough to provide for your future? Is your God big enough to carry you through whatever it is that you're facing today? How holy is your God? And how committed to God are you to be holy yourself? That's the stuff that we need to wrestle with from this passage. Not how do I, how do I sell my house to be a good Christian? That's not what you wrestle with. How holy is your God and how holy are you in light of him? When we think of the holiness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the price that was paid by Jesus for our salvation, we realize that God is 100% all in for you and I. 
There's nothing that God has held back. He gave us all, including his only son. His commitment to us is 100%. But what is our commitment to him? What is your commitment to him? This text today is all about the holiness of God and God's expectation that we would be holy in return, that we would be set apart, that we'd be in the world, not of the world. And so today, enjoy your festivities. It's a 4th of July. There's all kinds of cool things to do in this area. But remember, as Christians, we don't declare our independence from God. Ananias and Sapphira did that. See, we don't declare our independence from God because we ultimately realize that the only true freedom we have is the freedom that we have in Christ. And that, even more than the 4th of July, is something to celebrate. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this terribly difficult passage. There's just, there's no way around that. And yet, God, when we read it with an understanding of, it's just simply a statement of, you, God, are holy. And we know that. We believe that. We don't argue that. And we often live lives where we're not holy. And that's where sin enters in. And God, we have hearts and souls, and we're reading about that in Acts, and we want our hearts and souls to be fully filled by you, to be filled with your Holy Spirit. But every time we conspire against you, every time we choose to sin, we're giving a little bit of that ground, a little bit of that real estate over to Satan. God, in the, in the power of your Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would, you would move every thought, every desire, every wish, every want out of us that isn't of you. And that we would realize deep down, completely, that the heart and the soul that you gave us to be filled by you, to be filled with your Holy Spirit, truly are the most valuable real estate in the universe. They gave us, you gave us to them, them to us to be yours. And we're the ones, we're the ones who declare our independence from you and give bits and pieces of it away to the enemy who wants nothing good for us, nothing but to separate us. God, help us to hear this and understand this today as an opportunity to come home in holiness to you. In Jesus' name, amen.